Good morning. Man, um, so good to be here with you guys this morning and so good just to, um, man, you don't even know. Uh, you don't even know what's coming. It's amazing. We're going to celebrate here in just a second. Somebody maybe saw me drag out some backpacks, um, which is amazing. Um, these are backpacks, by the way. If you've never seen a backpack, they look kind of like this. Usually more space. There is space in here. There's this, It's an unused backpack. There's never been a book in here. Yeah, see, there's a lot of backpack there. Um, and there's multicolored backpacks. So if you're a girl, you know, got a pink one, or maybe if your favorite color is pink and you're a dude. Um, or I got some blue ones. We got all kinds of backpacks, actually. Uh, we've been doing this cool little backpack. I'm going to put those right there. Um, we've been doing this cool little backpack thing the past few weeks. And um, I think the goal was 120 backpacks. That sounds crazy, right? 17, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> our goal was 120 backpacks, which sa- sounds really amazing. I think they're seven something a piece. If you do the math, there's less than 100 of us here today. Um, and um, we were just believing God that we could do 120 backpacks. We could pass these out and distribute them to different schools so people would know there's, there's a group of people somewhere that love you in the name of Jesus. And um, Man, that's awesome. I'm happy to report today uh, that we did not meet our goal. Um, we, we wanted 120 backpacks, and, and we didn't meet that. Actually, we doubled it. Um, so um, I don't know. No, that's it's a bigger deal than that. That's 240 backpacks, which is amazing. Um, so um, no, it's a bigger deal than that. That's 240 backpacks. Like, let's just let's celebrate that. Um, there's like 240 of these things um, coming to my house. Uh, <laughs> that's, um, that's a lot of backpacks. Uh, if, if you've never seen uh, 240 backpacks, that's um, about 22 cases. Um, but but I, I don't want to stop there because we didn't stop there. Actually, we went past 240. Uh, we did 291 backpacks in total. Uh, which is amazing. Um, that, to me... It's great, and all those backpacks have school supplies in them. They got um, markers and highlighters and all kinds of stuff. I don't even know if it says on here, but it's kind of amazing that that we're going to get to, from this place, um, touch 291 lives in in the next couple days. And um, just kind of to give you some stats, there's still some, we actually have so many backpacks, we don't even know we're going to put all the backpacks yet, Um, but we're going to send Rita 100 backpacks, which is amazing. Um, that that's pretty cool. Um, Chilhawi, the little school on uh, North Chilhawi Road, they're going to get fifty, and um, that that's cool. Actually, they're they're so generous. They're going to split their fifty in half, and they're going to give some to another school um, because they want to share what what God has laid on us to share. Um, Holston, that's where I work. That's pretty amazing. Is going to get fifty backpacks. That's kind of cool. Um, and then Luttrell, uh, which is that direction, is going to get 50 backpacks. And if you've done the math on that, that's just like 250 backpacks. So we still have, what, 41 more backpacks that we have to find a home for, which is amazing to me. And um, just so awesome um, what God can do, right? Like one person, what could we do? Like, oh, here's a, here's a backpack. And that's amazing. But when we get together, God's people get together, there's power in that. When the church comes together and the church does a thing, man, people should feel it all over the city. And I love that, um, that God's letting us be part of that. So well, we're going to get to, in the next few weeks, invest in 291 
kids and their families uh, and touch over 291 lives for the name of Jesus. And I love that. And that's, that's just an amazing thing to me. So I think we should just celebrate that again, maybe together. That's good. Um, that is good. And um, man, it's, it's so good when you can be like, oh, 120, that's, that's a great goal. We're going to blow that out of the water. And I knew we were going to blow that out of the water, and we blew that out of the water. And just praise God for that. That's an, that's an amazing thing. And I can't wait to hear stories about what God does in that. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of an amazing thing, really. Um, it seems like just a backpack, but man, look at what God's going to do through it. Unless we pray around that, it's going to be good. So this morning, uh, we got a backpack, and this is not 291 backpacks. Um, but, but it is a backpack, and it can today stand in for 291 backpacks. Let's just pray around this together on what God's going to do over that. So I don't know, you maybe stretch out your hand, or you want to stand, or you just sit where you are and pray. I don't care what you do, but let's just pray for those 291 lives that God's going to move in um, through just generosity from the people of God. Father, this morning, we just thank you um, because, God, we know that you're good. Um, God, it seems maybe small. Maybe maybe some people would would even laugh at the fact. Oh, what's what's a backpack gonna do? Well, a backpack in the hands of me is not gonna do much. But a backpack in the hands of God, man, that can that can rescue people um, from from death and bring them into life. A backpack in the hands of God that that can be such a small thing to us, but a big thing to God. So, God, this morning we want to place two hundred ninety one backpacks in your hand. And God, we believe you that all 291 of these backpacks are going to be arrows in the quiver of God for the glory of God. And we're just asking that you just shoot these out all over our community. God, that they will land in in lives of people that need to know there's somebody out there that's thinking about you. And there's somebody that loves you. And the only reason why is this morning that there is a God out there that loves you. And you may be living this morning in the pit of poverty, but there's people out there that, that... through the generosity of God, want to be generous to you. God sees you. You maybe feel forgotten, but God has not forgotten you. And this morning, Jesus, we're just praying that, that, that the gospel goes with this. God, maybe we don't even get to interact with the kids, but we get to interact with the teachers. We get to interact with the, with the, um, with the counselors, the principals. We're praying for every school that's on that list and the one that's not Jesus, that you just bring a change into that place through who you are, not who we are. God, we're believing you for something amazing. So God, we thank you and we love you. And we believe that you're doing something amazing in this city and you're going to let us take part in it. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Man, that's good. Um, this morning, if you have your Bible, we're going to be in Revelation. Um, that's weird, I know. Yeah, um, intimidating. Uh, hopefully. Um, <laughs> um, if you've been around very long, you've known that I've said that about four times in the past four years. Um, we don't do Revelation much, um, <laughs> and that's okay. Um, there's going to be a class on it soon. And uh, you just, you can come to that. Um, It's too smart for me, but it's not too smart for everybody. So (laughs) praise the Lord, right? Um, But this morning, we're going to be in Revelation 2. And if you have your Bible, I'm going to give you a second to go ahead and get there. Um, I'll be honest, this one um, fits inside of the Come Together series, but... um, Come Together! 
I wasn't sure if that was going to happen or not. That's good. That's good. Seven weeks late. No, I'm just kidding. I feel like a SpongeBob episode. Um, seven weeks later. Um, thank you, three people that have seen SpongeBob. Uh, <laughs> but this morning, uh, it kind of fits inside of this Come Together series, but um, it's really just a message that God's been just um, marinating in my heart for a couple weeks now. And um, I'm just so excited about this. Um, because I need this. I don't know about you this morning, but I know about me, and um, I need this. So the past few weeks, we've been talking about this Come Together series, and really the idea behind the Come Together series is just church unity. And I know like when we hear that, especially if we haven't been around that specific church for a while, what we think is, oh no, something weird's happening in the church, and the pastor's going to preach on it because he's trying to like beat somebody with it so they'll behave. And that's not at all what I'm doing this morning. I don't know of anything weird that's happening. Uh, so if there is, I'm oblivious to it. So that's awesome. Keep it to yourself because I don't want to know. Um, but um, we've been talking about church unity, and, and uh, to be honest, I love this idea of church unity because I've grown up in the church. Like, I'm 31. That's, I know, old, sorry. Um, but I'm 31, and, and I've grown up in church, and I've been to churches where people in the church was unified, but I don't think churches themselves are always known for unity. Actually, most of the time there's fighting and over stupid stuff and we argue and all that fun stuff and we don't like each other and we don't talk to each other and it, at best you get a church that doesn't really have a lot of arguing but people kind of run in and run out and when we started a church the idea was that it wouldn't be that kind of place that it would be a place of community that people invest in each other and love each other because in reality you can't live the Christian life on your own if you're in and out you can't follow Jesus um, in the way that you need to we need each other that's why God set up the system of the church and when Jesus thought about the church I don't think he was like you know what I would love is business meetings if we could just come together and all these people who may or may not actually know Jesus vote on what color the carpet is so they can fight over it. Like, I don't think that's what he was thinking when he, when he, when he started thinking about the church. And that's why he talks about unity and the church is such an important thing. And I think we have the definition for unity because, you know, why not? We've done it the past few weeks. And unity is the quality or state of not being multiple. It's this idea of oneness. We talked about it in... Um, Corinthians is um, many parts, one body, that, that we are one thing. You may be from a different background or a different place in life. You may have been through different circumstances, but t- together in this place, we're, we're one. We're the body of Christ. It's a condition of harmony, and this word out beside it is accord. It basically just means that we get along. Um, that's cool. Uh, that'd be nice, right? If, if churches could get along, that'd be a great message, actually, in itself. Is just, let's talk about harmony today. Um, and then three is the quality or state of being made one, this unification. And it is a process, and, and there's so many letters kind of at the end of the Bible that talk about this process and how we do that to be made one. See, I'm a different person than you, and I've been through different things than you, and without the Spirit of God and the power of God, we'll never actually be one. But thanks be to God, we have more in common on this side of the cross than we have apart. And... Um, Jesus, when he thinks about the church and talks about the church, he talks about this idea of unity because, man, a divided church isn't really worth anything. I'll be honest. A church that fights and squabbles, they're, they're not doing anything in the, 
in the kingdom. If we're so focused on somebody didn't move this chair back the right way or the carpet's not the color that I like, it's because we've lost the focus of the gospel. Uh, A unified church is a powerful thing, but a church in disruption that's not in harmony, that's, that's worthless. And Jesus spends so much time talking about unity and the letters and the uh, New Testament spends so much time talking about that because we need it today. All the power in the church is going to come through God and it's going to happen around unity. And, and this morning we're going to be in Revelation 2 and we're, we're going to talk about that idea. Um, we're going to do that just in this first letter, this letter um, to the church at Ephesus. I know that at the top of mine it says the letters to the seven churches. Maybe yours says that, maybe it doesn't. But we're about to go into a section of Revelation um, where um, God is going to tell John to write letters to seven different churches. And um, if you just kind of look through there, you can see where those churches are. But all those churches are in the area of Asia Minor, which is like modern-day Turkey. Ephesus probably was the first one of these churches. It's a church that Paul used as home base as he went out on these missionary journeys through Asia Minor. And he probably, through this church, planted all these other churches. And I think that's why it takes the kind of center place right here at the beginning of chapter 2. And he he writes this letter to the church at Ephesus, and that's what we're going to focus on this morning. And it starts off, and it says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write. This is God here, or Jesus, talking to John and he's saying I want you to write a letter to the angel at the church at Ephesus so the letter is going to the church and it's coming through the angel we'll talk about what that is in just a second don't get caught up on that that's not the big picture here what we're trying to figure out is we're writing a letter to the church at Ephesus now all these letters uh, there's there's two or three different schools of thoughts the main school of thought is these letters represent time periods in the church or in the history of the church that this would have been like very early church and as you move towards the end it becomes church like modern day church and all these were different periods that's very possible and you see it played out there's another school of thought though this morning and that's the one I kind of want to focus on and that is that each of these letters are written to churches because they apply to the larger church that the letter at the church of Ephesus is yes specific to the church of Ephesus there's stuff going on in Ephesus that that John or God through John wants to talk about and talk to um, but it also applies today in this place that this is not just a letter for way back in the day and I know we're not Ephesus this morning but maybe we're living in a very um, Ephesian church and he starts off and he says to the angel of the church at Ephesus I want you to write now we'll talk about angel in a second let's figure out what's going on first it says the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand And who walks among the seven gold lampstands says, so the person who's talking, who's writing this letter is the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand. That's awesome. Um, That's kind of cool sounding. And the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. Now we got to figure out who this guy is. And the cool thing is, if you back up into chapter one, it's pretty easy to figure out what's going on. He says in chapter 1, verse 20, The secret of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and of the seven gold lampstands is this. The seven stars are the seven angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So lampstands is easy. Let's go for that first. The lampstands is the what? The churches. There's seven letters, and they're written to seven churches, and those seven churches are these seven lampstands. Lampstands hold up light, right? 
In Matthew 5.14, Jesus says that the church is the light of the world. So the church is the holder of the light, and, and we're supposed to be light to the world. The lampstands he's talking about here are these seven churches, Ephesus being one of those. And as you go down the list, the seven stars, however, are seven angels. Now, angels is, is from a Greek word, angelos. I think we got it back there. Do we have that one? And it just means messenger. So common idea is when we hear angels, we're thinking about like winged beings, right? And, and all that cool stuff. Probably not actually who he's talking about here. Reasons being, why would God need John to write a letter to an angel? When God can just talk to angels in heaven, right? Did an angel actually show up to any of these churches and stand in the front and then read this letter? Not that we know of. So odds are he's not actually talking about angels. What he's talking about here is pastors, leaders, bishops of these churches, the church leader. John is writing this letter from God to a leader at the church of all of these different churches. And the, the person writing is who we hear speaking in Revelation 1. Let me just give you a little background. Revelation 1.12. I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. When I turned, I saw seven gold lampstands. Oh, man, there they are. And among the lampstands was one like the Son of Man, Jesus, dressed in a long robe and with a gold sash wrapped around his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, white as snow, his eyes like a fiery flame, his feet like fine bronze fired in a furnace, and his voice like the sound of cascading waters. In his right hand he had seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was shining like the sun at midday. This is the man speaking in the letter. This is when I saw him, John fell down at his feet. And this person said, don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last, the living one. I was dead, but look, I am forever and, or I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and hates. This is the person speaking that's writing this letter. So the person speaking who's writing this letter has a little bit of authority today. Can we just come around that? Jesus has authority before he leaves, right? In Matthew, he says, what? I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. This is the person speaking, writing the letter. And he says to John here, he says, hey, I want you to write a letter to the messenger at the church at Ephesus or the pastor or the bishop or whatever you want to put there. The guy who's in charge at the church of Ephesus, I want you to write him a letter and I want you to tell him this is who's speaking to him the one who holds all the messengers right the one who's in charge of all the ones who are in charge of all these churches and in converse the one who's in charge of you I hold you in my hand I can speak to you I have authority over you you don't hold me I hold you so listen up I'm the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands or the seven churches I'm the one who walks among the seven churches actually the, I'm the focal point of the seven churches or should be and this is what I'm saying to you I think maybe when you get a letter like that from God you probably might listen right like if he wrote a letter to us today and he's like hey overflow just want you to know I'm the one who holds you in my hand I have authority over you and I walk among you and if you want that to keep happening you better listen to my letter right like this is the person speaking and he says, in two, I know your works. I know your works. Or I see your works. I see what you're doing. Now, <laughs> that doesn't sound like a good thing when you hear that, right? 
God shows up, I know your works. Like you can read that either way, right? Oh, I know your works. That's good. Or I know your works. Works is just a, a word. I think we got it back there. Coming to a screen near you. Works. There we go. Work is an activity involving mental or physical effort done in order to achieve a purpose or a result. He says, I know your works. I know what you're doing towards this result. I know, I know that you're physically involved in what we're doing here. I know that you're physically involved in something, right? And he says, I know your labor. Labor sounds like the same word, right? Like works and labor could be the same thing. But when I think of labor, I think of like childbirth. So it's like work, but it's hard work. Labor is just a word that means uh, have, difficult in do- or have difficulty in doing something despite working hard, right? So I'm working hard. My works are hard. And I'm having difficulty doing it and move or process with trouble or difficulty. So I know your works and I know that you're working hard in the midst of difficulty is what he's saying. There's, there's something going on in Ephesus, and it's making the work hard. I just a little background on Ephesus. Ephesus is one of the most prominent cities in the Roman Empire. It's known for its worship of uh, one of the gods that I just can't pull into my head right now, and the emperor. It has a lot of money, a lot of wealth. Now think about plopping the church down inside of that. Plopping the church down inside of an area that's known for pagan worship, right? We don't worship the same God in this city as you do. And there's plenty of money here. Now, I don't know about you, but it sounds like a difficult place for the gospel already, doesn't it? Already a lot of people who don't have the same belief as you. And by the way, they're living pretty comfortably. They're living the pretty good life. And he says, I know your works. I know that you're focused on the goal. And I even know that it's hard. I realize that it's hard to focus on this work, that it's hard to accomplish this work, this labor. And he says, and your endurance. Now, endurance is a word that means, I can see it, you can't, yeah, yeah. The ability to withstand hardship or adversity, especially the ability to sustain a prolonged stressful effort or activity. In other words, Jesus sees their works, he sees that it's hard to work in this environment, and he sees that in spite of it being hard, they continue to do the hard work. And when obstacles come, when when there's things that are coming against the church, when, when the difficulty sets in, they continue to do the hard work. If you look at the church of Ephesus, it sounds like it's a pretty good church. He says in that you cannot tolerate evil. That's pretty good, all right? inside of a pagan city, and he's like, you're a church that doesn't tolerate evil. Now, I just want to throw a side note in here. This is not a church that's on the street picketing evil in the city, right? This is not a church that's out there saying, you're sinners and you're all going to hell. That's not a good evangelism tactic, by the way. This is not that church. It's a church that doesn't tolerate evil inside of the church, more specifically inside of themselves. You know the best monitor for evil in your life? Let's just change that for sin in your life. You know who that is? It ain't me. It's you and Jesus, right? Like I can tell you you're a sinner and you're going to get mad at me, but let's just be honest, you know you're a sinner. And we have two decisions to make when we decide that we're sinners. It's, it's okay. God won't take it away from me. I prayed about it that one time. Or God's not okay with this. And I need God to eradicate it from my life. I will not tolerate this action in me. It's not that I'm going to continue in it because I just can't seem to get out of it. It's I'm going to continue to fight against it. 
And that's the mentality of this church. I I have evil in me. There's sin in me. And I hate sin because God hates sin. Sin killed Jesus. Therefore, I will not participate. He says, this is that church. He says that you have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. And you have found them to be liars. Now, apostles, just in case we don't know, right? I like definitions. Apostles can be a couple different things. One, it's each of the 12 chief disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, if you found them to be liars, this is probably not number one, right? Not number one. Number two is any important early Christian teacher. That's a possibility. Or the first successful Christian missionary in a country or to a people. Now, that would be Paul, right? Because we already heard Paul came to Ephesus, and then Paul did missionary journeys to these other churches. Um, So probably not number three. It was probably two. There were these people that had come into these churches, and they set themselves up or talked about themselves like they were these important teachers, probably even had followings, because it's not hard to get a cult going if you try hard enough, right? Uh, it's, it's any important early Christian teacher, and these people probably came into the church, and they began teaching things that were not biblical truths. And this church in Ephesus heard this, and they saw that, and they tested these people. Well, what do you believe? Tell me what you think about that. And what they saw was that these people were not actually apostles, but false teachers. They found them to be liars, and then they kicked out their crazy teaching, right? Meaning, the church at Ephesus also had a strong knowledge of the Word of God. They had to know enough about the Word of God to know if this person's telling the truth or not. And it says that Jesus here, talking to them, says, You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be liars. It says, You also possess endurance. There's that word again. You continue to keep going in the midst of difficult things and have tolerated many things because of my name or put up with many things because of my name. When persecution comes, you've put up with many things because of my name. This was a persecuted church. Why wouldn't it be, right? It's in a city that worship other things. The, one of the gods of the city is the emperor who's in charge of the city. And here there's a group of people saying, we're not going to worship you. We're going to worship this other god. They were a persecuted church. And in the midst of the persecution, they continued to worship God and to follow God. Now you look at the church at Ephesus and you're like, dude, that's a pretty awesome church, right? They are people who <laughs> work man, that's pretty good in itself, right? Like not 14% of the people, but like the, the people in the church, not the building, right? But like the people in the church, all of them, they work and they work when it's difficult. Man, radical, right? I love working when it's not, doesn't require very much of me, but man, working when it's difficult, that's a hard thing. These are those people. They're people who even endure when it becomes difficult, right? Like, oh, I was working, and then it got hard, and then I quit. That's like most stories, right? Somebody said this thing, and then I was done. Like, that's most stories. But they're like, no, I was working, and then it got hard, and I continued to work, and then it got harder, and I continued to work, and it got harder, and I continued to work. This is the story of the Ephesus church. The people in the church were workers, and they were trying to expand the gospel. And when people rejected them, what they do? They continued to try to expand the gospel. I think of people that would be good at expanding the gospel as those people who work at the mall and try to sell the little weird hand lotion and stuff. I don't actually know what it is because I never stop. 
Can you imagine what a horrible job that is, right? Hey, do you want to? People are like, I'm going to get my phone out. I'm not actually doing anything. Hey, no, no, thank you. Like that's their job, and they get rejected over and over and over again, yet they come to work every morning. We're like, oh, I tried to tell that one person about the gospel, and they didn't want it, so I'm not good at it. Like, <laughs> we should just be more like those people, right? This is that church. This is that church. It says, I know your works. I know that you work when it's hard. I know you persisted working as it continued to get harder. I know that you can't tolerate evil, that you, you are people who try to live like God wants you to live. Wow, radical idea, right? Like God's called his people to be holy, and here's a group of people that actually try to be holy. Weird. And it says, you've tested those who call themselves apostles. You know enough about the word of God to, to even test those that come in and, and, and say that they can teach something that they, they obviously don't know anything about. You found those people to be liars. He says, I know that you possess endurance even though you're persecuted. You've tolerated many things because of my name and you've not grown weary. This is the church at Ephesus. Okay, that's a pretty good letter, right? Like if that stops there, that's a pretty good letter. The church at Ephesus is better, let me just say it out loud today, at being the church than we are. Everything we've read already says that, right? There are people who know the word of God. Man, that would be radical in most churches today. There are people who actually do the work of God. That would be radical in most churches today. There are people who, who endure when it gets difficult. That would be radical in most churches today. They looked exactly like what a church should look like on the outside. All the programs were clicking, right? The worship band had it going on. Like, this is that church on the outside. You're like, man, that is the perfect place. I want to be at the church at Ephesus. By the way, it's not around any longer. And then this thing happens. Like, wouldn't it be great if it stopped there? Just John just quit writing right there. That was a good letter. But he didn't. There was something that was going to happen in this letter. And he says in four, but I have this against you. Now, who's writing this letter? Jesus, right? Jesus just rolled up into the church at Ephesus, and he's like, ah, you're pretty decent, but there's something going on. I have this against you. Now, this should cause us to listen. If, if Jesus has something against this church, maybe we should be interested in what that is. He says, I have this against you. You have abandoned the love that you had at first. This is the thing he has against him. You have abandoned the love that you had at first. Now, what is he talking about? Love for each other. That's not it. I'll just be honest. That's, that's not it. Love for showing up on Sundays. Not it. Love for programs. Not it. Love for investing in the word. That's, that's not it. That's not the love he's speaking of here. He could, he could even been translated, you have abandoned your first love. Well, what, is, what is your first love? It should be, Right? It should be God. It should be Jesus. If you're speaking to the church, a group of people that God has saved, he's called out from among the world, like the, there was a love that happened in that moment that you felt and experienced and participated in. And, and he's looking at this church and he's like, you've lost that. You remember there was a thing that happened when God rescued you. If you've ever been rescued by God, if you've ever been church word saved, you know exactly what I'm speaking of. There's this thing that happens in that moment. And you're like, oh my gosh, I can't even, I can't even begin to describe that today. And there's like this joy that happens in that moment. 
Because what happens is, anybody that's ever seen Jesus and, and given their life to him, you had to experience, man, that person loves me to this amazing degree, and, and I'm overwhelmed with that, and I love him back. Mark says it like this, right? You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You should love God with everything. And then your second love, right, is those people around you. He says, you've lost your love. You've lost your first love. I have this against you. You've lost your love. Now, think about this. Because this is what kind of blows me away. This is a church that on paper has it all going on. Like if, if we were to visit this church today, we'd be like, man, that's the best church I've ever been to. Everybody knows the word. The programs are phenomenal. They're holy people. They show up, right? They get going. On paper, this is amazing church. But what that means is it's possible to, on paper, be an amazing church, but be missing a very key element of what the church is about. It's possible to have all the programs, right? And it's possible to have all the people show up. And it's possible to, to be working out there and in here. It's possible that everyone could be involved everywhere doing every kind of thing. It's possible to even endure hardships and persecution with the wrong motivation and the wrong heart. Why wouldn't God just leave them alone? Everything else looked pretty good, right? They're working. Maybe God's biggest goal for your life is not that you work. That is a goal. Read Ephesians 2, right? We've been saved, that God gave us grace, and he prepared ahead of us good works. Like God's, One of God's goals for your life is that you do work in the church and outside the church. But maybe God's greatest goal for your life is not that you work. Maybe God's greatest goal for your life is not even that you show up at church. Maybe God's greatest goal for your life is not even that when bad things happen, you continue to go to church. Maybe there's something deeper there, right? He says, I have this one thing against you. Everything on paper looks great. Now, think about this for a minute. The church is not the building. Who's he speaking to? Oh, you bedroom that everybody meets in and has church in. You, you're good at your job. But your four walls, they just don't love me anymore. Isn't it easy to deflect it onto a building? Or a group of people? Oh, you group of people. He's not speaking to a group of people here. He's talking to the church. Each individual member of the body. See, in reality, you can't help me if God can't help me. And you saying, you've lost your love, although maybe a good warning to me is not going to change my heart. So in this moment, maybe what the church at Ephesus and maybe today even, what we shouldn't do is think, man, if it would be great if blah, blah, blah was here to hear this message. Maybe we should say, God, let me hear this message. I go to church. Maybe that's not God's greatest goal in your life. But I serve. Maybe that's not God's greatest goal in your life. But I read, maybe that's not God's greatest goal in your life. They are goals, but maybe that's not the top one. 
He looks at these people that seemingly have it all together, these very religious people, these very good, morally people, and he says, I have this one thing against you. You used to be blown away by me. You used to love me with everything you got, and now you're just apathetic. You're just doing the stuff. You're doing the Christian stuff, and you don't love me like you used to. You've lost your first love. And is it possible today that like the church at Ephesus, some of us or maybe even all of us are living in this moment where we can do all the church things, but in our heart we know that God is just a thing that we do on the weekend. And then he says this, remember how far you've fallen. He calls them back to remember. Remember what it was like when you were in love with me. No, 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 no. Not when you used to come to church more. No, 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 no. Not when you used to sing in the choir. That's not what I'm talking about. No, not when you used to like go out there on the street and buy people hot dogs. That's not what I'm talking about today. Remember when you used to love me. Wouldn't it be a shame today if when we heard that, we just neglected to think about that? Man, what a letter to the church at Ephesus. No, man, what a letter to us. If you can think of a moment in your life when you were closer to God, if that was the good old days to you, you have fallen. If you can think of a moment when you used to love God with such an intensity and you're just not there today, you have fallen. There shouldn't be good old days in our relationship with Jesus. And he looks at these people and he says, remember where you used to be. Here's the key to get back. You have to remember what it felt like to be there. If you want to go back there, you have to remember where there is. He says, I need you to think about something for a minute. I need you to get away from, we're this really good church that has it all together. I need you to get away from there, and I need you to get back to, where was I six months ago? Where was I a year ago? Where was I four years ago? And if the answer is in a better space than it is today, I have fallen. He says, remember how far you've fallen. And then he says this, repent. Did ever repent up there? Repent is just this idea that we feel or express not manufactured regret. But sincere regret or remorse about one's wrongdoing or sin. He he uses this in, in the context of you've lost your love for God. Remember where you've been and repent. I think a lot of times we think of sin as like these things that we do. Maybe this is one. That we neglect to love the one who loved us. <laughs> maybe that's the greater sin. Maybe all the other sins flow from there. Maybe, maybe our jacked up lives, they come out of this thing that we used to be in this place where we were close to God and now we're in a place where we're so far. I'll be honest, this is a church that focused on attitudes and actions. It's a church that didn't tolerate evil outwardly. But in this moment, we see that they had evil hearts inwardly. 
We want to we clip away at all these little side effects of, of a, a greater problem. What, what is the greatest problem in humanity? It's a heart problem. There's one who loves us supremely, and we're so apathetic about this God. He breathed everything into creation, and we're like, I'd rather play Xbox. He breathed everything into creation, we're like, I'd rather play on my phone. He breathed everything into creation, and we're like, you know what, TV's pretty good. And we found all these other things to attach our lives to, and there's one thing that deserves all the attachment. Yet somehow we just can't plug into that. And he looks at him, he says, you remember? You remember where you were? Maybe some of you, the, the closest you've ever felt to God is the moment that you got saved and you never pursued anything there. And that's, that's the moment he has to take you back to. You're like, I'll never feel like that again. You can feel better than that. That's the beginning of a relationship. It's not the end. It's not the climax of where we're going with God. It should be a steady uphill ramp all the way to heaven, right? He says the key to getting back is what? To remember where you've come from. And then to, to actually want to go back there in a way that causes you regret and remorse. God, I really, I'm not just saying words. I don't want to come to church more. I want to love you. And even when it's hard, right? It's a good quality. Endurance is a good quality. You're not going to love God with intensity tomorrow. You might six months from now. It takes a while to build a relationship. He says, remember where you were. And then he says, repent. And then he says this, and do the works you did at first. So you didn't just, oh, I love God. I don't have to do anything in the church now, right? It is a plan. It's just not the plan. Basically, I think if we could just wind this back. Let's not worry about anything we just mentioned before verse 4. Why don't we go back to where we love God? And once you get that, once you can wrap around that, once Jesus is the treasure, then go back and do the works. Isn't that crazy? It's a crazy idea, right? Maybe we should just stop everything that we do until we love Jesus. And then we love Jesus. Maybe we should just start it all back up again. Now, like when you hear that, isn't that just crazy to you? We just we can't we can't stop. We gotta do these things. Where are we putting the emphasis? And Jesus is bold enough to step up into the room in Ephesians, right? In this church that seemingly has it all together, and he's like, Why don't you just shut the doors? Why don't you shut the doors till you love me again? Why don't you just quit everything else till you love me again? Why don't you just, you're focusing on everything else, and maybe that's the thing. You're focusing on the wrong thing, and I would rather you just not focus on anything if it's not going to be me. And once you get that, go back and do those works you did at first. Otherwise, I will come to you. That sounds great. Thank you. And remove your lampstand from its place. What's he saying? Otherwise, I'm going to shut your church down. 
Who's saying that? What a radical idea. That Jesus would shut a church down. Now, I just want to be clear. He doesn't necessarily mean shut the doors. There's churches that are very successful. But the church is not a building. You can fill a stadium with people and talk about whatever you want. The church is you and me. He said, if you really want to be one, not just be a people that meet in a building, we've got to get back to somewhere. And that somewhere is a place where you love me over everything else. Where I'm the treasurer of your heart. Where I'm the treasurer of this people. And if I'm not the treasurer of this people, I'm going to stop showing up. I'm going to shut your church down. Why would Jesus say that to a group of people that seemingly have it all together? We're doing works. We know the Bible. And we live moral lives. That's the mark of most of our Christianity, isn't it? I go to church. I read the Bible. I pray. I serve. To which Jesus would say back, yeah, it's good. But do you love me? More than that, are you in love with me? Am I the supreme desire of your soul today? The the psalmist writes it this way, as the deer pants for the water brook, I'm going to die without it. So my soul thirsts for you, the living God. And if that's not the story of your heart today, I just want to say, let's just trim away all the, all the costume. Let's cut away the mask of I go to church and let's take off the uh, I serve in the church clothes today. And let's just look at the heart. Are you in love with God? Are you? Is, is he your treasure? Not a treasure. The treasure. If you lost everything else, would you still be rich? Because you have him. Man, and if not, we've fallen. We've fallen. And we can do all the other stuff and we can look really good doing it. But man, if we miss the point, if we miss the point, we have the biggest building. We've got a swimming pool downstairs, right? And we have all the programs. And we have all the people. But at the heart of it, Jesus is not the centerpiece. He's not the thing that keeps us coming back and wanting more. If he's not the well, if he's not the spring, if he's not the pool, we've missed it. I'm not talking about us as a building. I'm talking about you. What does your heart say? Let's pray.